The Murthy Law Firm has been clarifying U.S. immigration laws and procedures for foreign nationals since 1994. Teleconferences and podcasts were added to the resources available online in 2012. We are happy to offer this free service. Please listen to copyright information and restrictions at the end of this recording. Now, we are pleased to introduce attorney Sheila Murthy. Welcome. I am Sheila Murthy, president and CEO of the Murthy Law Firm. Joining me in today's discussion is none other than my esteemed colleague, Aaron Finkelstein, who's been the managing attorney of the Murthy Law Firm and has been with the firm for over 20 years. Uh, we are honored and delighted, as always, to have you join us in this latest breaking news, cutting-edge uh, issue dealing with the presidential proclamation of Monday night, June 22nd. And, uh, and then we will discuss with whatever latest updates we've received from different federal agencies that have responded since the proclamation was issued on Monday night. Um, just by way of briefly, by background, by way of background, um, you know, the team for the current administration is the whole idea of buy American, hire American to protect American jobs. And from both of these proclamations, we can see that the president or the administration is using the global pandemic, the health crisis of COVID-19 to restrict the entry into the U.S. of both immigrant visa and non-immigrant visa holders. So just again, by way of background, uh, you will remember that two months earlier, on April 22nd of 2020, the uh, president issued the original proclamation, uh, 10014, uh, to restrict entry into the United States, primarily focusing on people entering as immigrants or obtaining immigrant visas from abroad. This recent proclamation of June 22nd focuses and, uh, on the suspension and limitation uh, for individuals who are seeking certain non-immigrant visas to enter the United States. And the four uh, main categories, or the three or four main categories, of course, are the H-1B, um, and their dependents, H-2Bs and their dependents, J-1 visa holders. But remember, certain ca categories of J-1s are exempt, um, like medical doctors, but it's mainly those who are in an internship, traineeship, teachers, camp counselors, au pair, or summer work travel program. And again, J-2s, those accompanying or following to join any such individuals. The L-1 visas, which includes L-1A, L-1B, and L-2s, they're, they're dependents. Um, and as most of us already know, that the suspension has already become effective from June 24th, meaning that people had less, just a little over uh, 24 hours because it was issued late on Monday night and late Tuesday night, just after midnight, early Wednesday morning, it became effective. The proclamation by, by its very term mentions that it will expire on December 31st, 2020, but it also says it may be extended, modified, continued, et cetera, which we'll talk about hopefully in a few minutes. So with that background, I am going to invite Aaron to discuss uh, the categories of people who may be 
uh, actually uh, directly impacted by this non-immigrant visa proclamation. Aaron? Hello, everybody. So if you look at the proclamation, it talks about the, that the people that it, that the proclamation itself doesn't apply to everybody outside of the United States. First of all, it only applies to people outside of the United States, but it does not apply to everybody outside of the United States. It shall only apply to individuals who are outside, one, outside on the date of the effect of the proclamation. Number two, that they don't have a non-immigrant visa that's valid on the effective date of this proclamation. So that's June 24th. So for example, if your visa was valid on June 24th on the effective date of the proclamation, but it expired after June 24th, perhaps you would not be, you would not be subject to this proclamation. And finally, the last one does not have an official travel document other than a visa, such as a transportation letter, an appropriate boarding foil, or an advanced parole type of document that's valid on the effective date of the proclamation or issued on any date thereafter that permits him or a traveler to the United States to seek entry or admission. Uh, the one key point here that's interesting is they use the word and, which later on when you ask me about Department of State updates, I'll update about that word being a little bit of an issue. But essentially, this is the, these are the people that, it would, that the new proclamation would apply to. Okay, yeah. thank you, Aaron. Uh, I'm very briefly going to touch upon the exemptions, people who are exempt from the travel ban, because it may give, again, for individuals, their families, uh, employers working together with you all as individuals uh, to see if you would somehow try to make an argument that you would be exempt from the travel ban. Of course, first they start off with lawful permanent resident, a person who is uh, either a U.S. citizen or the spouse or child of a U.S. citizen, they, leave, they, they, they obviously, leave, you know, exempt a spouse or a child of a U.S. citizen. But they also say an interesting point that a person seeking to enter the U.S. to provide temporary labor or services, even if you're entering on the H-1B or the H-2B, essential to the U.S. food supply chain. So a lot of the H, some of the H-2B temporary workers could potentially fall into this, as also H-1Bs. If your company, for example, or the, your consulting company or the end client or somebody along the chain could arguably be helping to make, provide food or doing software that, that is part of this whole U.S. food supply chain in today's COVID-19 climate, or an individual whose entry would be in the national interest, again, as determined by either the Department of State, DOS, or the Department of Homeland Security, their secretaries or their respective designees. So I know that this term, the national interest, is again very helpful because you may have some arguments to make, even if you're, uh, that if you, your family member, or your employee stuck outside of the United States, how can we argue this term? So I'm going to invite Aaron to exp to expand on it a little bit. No, I would agree. And before I jump into national interest, which is which is a big area to cover, I want to just take a step back about the temporary labor services essential in the United States for food supply chain. You have to kind of expand the way you're thinking on this. And I want to hit this point for a second. But if you're if you're if you do IT work for a trucking industry or for a transportation industry that's bringing food in, if you're doing it for um, for a big uh, grocery chain, Whole Foods, or one of these giants or lions, or one of these types of uh, major whole, whole food type of uh, industries where you're doing software and technology that's helping to bring people into, that's helping to move food.
food to the right location and verify it. If you're doing anything that has to do with inventory associated with food, you have to look at this and keep expanding what they're saying in terms of essential. It's not for us to exclude who's essential. It's for us to present what we consider is essential and let consular officers give it a fair shake and see if they would agree with us or not. So I just don't want to say, oh, I don't work directly with, you know, harvesting the plants and putting it on a truck and driving it through. Maybe my guy's not going to be essential. Maybe it would be. Maybe it won't. Don't preclude. Start to just expand the way that you're thinking again. In terms of the national interest, um, so I'll jump into national interest. For purposes of determining who's covered in the national interest exemption, the proclamation directs the secretaries of state, labor, and homeland security to determine standards for those to whom such an exemption would be available. And the way that they say it, they say as follows. They're for individuals who are critical to the defense, law enforcement, diplomacy, or national security of the United States, who are involved with the provisions of medical care to individuals who've contracted COVID-19 and are currently hospitalized. So for people with J1 doctors, for medicals who are hospitalists, um, other type of people who are treating COVID-19 patients, this is certainly one to look at. For um, and not so just could doctors, nurses as well. Yeah, I was going to say not just doctors, medical care individuals. Mm -hmm. It could be nurses as well. It could be other types of medical care individuals. You have to show the connection are involved with the provisions of medical research at U.S. facilities to help the United States combat COVID-19 um, are necessary to fa facilitate the immediate and continued economic recovery of the United States. And I'm going to pause for one second. So if, for example, somebody's working on software development for credit cards or somebody's working for software development for banks that are working ease of use, which right now we have massive work from home issues, shelter in place issues, altering software, changing stuff is happening on a very rapid pace. If somebody's involved in doing these types of things, that very much could be considered part of an economic recovery portion of what's going on. Again, I don't know. I know that we have to make the arguments and we can't just read the word and say, where is the box that says my job is economic recovery? There is no box. You have to get your head around it and kind of start thinking, how can the job that the, that the H-1B employee is doing impact an economic recovery? See if there's a yes or a no. See if there's an argument to make. And that becomes what you present. The last category is the children who age out of eligibility for a visa because of this proclamation, uh, because of this proclamation or the proclamation 10014 that Sheila mentioned before. So age outs are children that are eligible to go along with their parents for the green cards. And uh, the children can turn 21 years of age. And if they turn 21 years of age, they lose their eligibility if they don't act on it. There are some exceptions for uh, something called the CSPA, Child Status Protection Act. There are some kids that are fall outside of the Child Status Protection Act for various reasons, and they may age out and lose their eligibility. That seems to also be an exception to the rule and something that's considered in the national interest. Finally, because we would say, okay, how do we apply to Department of State or to Labor or to Homeland Security? We say the, 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 the crux is the main point is that the consular officers themselves have discretion to determine if an individual is within one of the exempted categories outlined above. So right now, we don't see where there's a process of approaching Secretary of State or Labor or Homeland Security. Rather, that's supposed to be imbued in the counselor officer to use their discretion on these determinations. Thank you, Aaron. You're absolutely bang on point. And you know what? 
if we have some more time towards the end, I would love to continue discussing different case example scenarios, situations, because a lot of the people on this call today may actually want to understand how does this apply to me, my family member, my child, my spouse who's stuck abroad, you know, where can we look at it, et cetera. And I think going over some of those situations, even if it's brief, because I know we always try to make these conference calls within approximately 30 minutes. So let's see if we have time. And if not, I know we're doing, we're going to be running another multi law firm uh, conference call that we do monthly each month on the first Wednesday of each month at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time, uh, which will be next Wednesday, July 1st. And we also have um, uh, a couple of FAQs and articles and everything that we've posted on multi.com. So let's go back to this proclamation and the other proclamation. Actually, both of the proclamations have a big focus, which again has seems to be a big, big focus in the current administration, uh, the word fraud, that anything and everything is somehow connected with those coming into the United States to somehow circumvent the rules or try to commit fraud against the U.S. government. And so the, it says, and the proclamations make it clear that any person who is trying to enter either through fraud or willful misrepresentation or any form of what they call illegal entry will be prioritized for deportation or removal from the United States. Uh, the other thing that was added with the proclamation is that the, the, within 30 days of this proclamation's effective date, which is, that means before July 24th or July 23rd, of 2020, and every 60 days after that date uh, and the prior immigrant visa proclamation, again, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, in consultation with the Department of Labor and the Department of State, can continue to make determinations whether they need to modify uh, any of these proclamations of any needs to, if they decide that they need to modify it because in reality they see certain issues cropping up. Um, again, I know we, uh, we talked a little bit uh, in the beginning and Aaron talked about COVID-19 prevention. They, the, the, the proclamations make it very clear that since the goal of the United States is to protect American Americans and prevent people from outside bringing COVID-19 with them, that most likely the proclamation uh, says that uh, that we expect that it will include a COVID-19 test be possibly before a person departs on an international flight and possibly before they land or as when they land in the United States and before they enter legally the U.S. soil because when you enter with CVP and before you cross CVP, you are not considered to have entered the United States even if you're on U.S. soil because there's a whole concept under immigration law that entries only after you cross the CBP counter, the Customs and Border Protection counter. So they could potentially send you back if they believe that you either test positive, have fever, have, you know, even though it's kind of sometimes seems to make no sense because so many people seem to be asymptomatic, showing no symptoms for COVID-19. Um, do you Aaron, think that would that, help? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. Do you think it would help if somebody went and got tested and when they presented their facts as an essential worker or as somebody that meets one of these criteria to say, and by the way, I've already been tested. Here's the results. I'm immune or I have the I, immunobodies yeah, in my I, system. Yeah, I think it's very, very helpful to have that. It's better than certainly better than having nothing when we, when any of us has to travel internationally and come back. 
and re-enter the United States to show that. But they will say, great, you didn't have it a week ago, but how do we know you didn't catch it on the plane or catch it now? So they have the right to test you prior to you actually being allowed entry. We don't know if it means quarantine. We don't know if it means, like I know certain countries like India prevent people from actually entering if you've entered from abroad by being forced to stay 14 days in a facility that they are going to provide you, but they're there charging you to put you up in those facilities. Whether they're going to do something like that, again, it's not clear what they plan to do, but they're talking about how the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, DHHS, uh, will have to provide guidance to the other Secretaries of State and Homeland Security on how to reduce the risk um, you know, of those who are seeking admission to the United States from spreading COVID-19 into the United States. Um, Aaron, let's go briefly. I know that uh, you already may have touched upon most of this, but do we have any latest updates since the issuance of the proclamation from the U.S. Department of State clarifying or explaining any particular issue or issues? So it's funny that, you know, it's a good question that you asked. Not funny, but it's ironic because if you go on the Department of, of State's website, travel.state.gov, they have an update dated June 23rd of 2020. And the significant difference is if you read the proclamation itself, when you look at the people that are subject to the proclamation, it says any alien who's outside the United States on the effective date does not have an immigrant visa valid on the effective date and does not have an official travel document, they don't make it either one, two, or three. They say, and, so all of the above, you need almost like all of the above criteria to not qualify. Uh, I think the Department of State did something which is like a cleanup of that, because on their website, when they summarize the proclamation and they give what they call the last update, which is uh, July 23rd, about three days ago, they talk about that it's the, the restriction is effective as of 12.01 EDT on Wednesday, June 24th. And then they say uh, it applies to U.S. It does the, it, unless continued. It says it doesn't apply to U.S. citizen lawful permanent residents, alien who are or were inside the United States or those valid non-immigrant visa or those holding a valid non-immigrant visa or immigrant visas on the effective dates are not subject to the proclamation. So instead of looking at it and saying who is subject, they did who's not subject, and they turned it into either or, either or, either or. It's a minor type of change, but it's significant in the way that they've cleaned up the proclamation. When you go through the rest of it and you go through the, what's listed here, um, I don't see anything other, um, I don't see anything of major significance uh, I do see, you know, they point out just like the EB-5 investors, uh, spouse and children of U.S. citizens we've already mentioned, uh, armed forces, spouse and children, everything else seems very similar. And they mentioned the special immigrant category of the, of the Afghan and Iraq. So they pull it back into some of the exceptions that were listed in the prior proclamation as well. But to me, the most significant thing is that they turned it into an either or, which is critical because somebody might say, I don't have a visa. I'm in the U.S. Since it's end, 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 maybe I'm subject here. It says, no, it's either this or this or this. Right. And, I, and like you said, you know, the Department of State has also updated and confirmed through different ALUC liaison meetings it appears that, yes, medical doctors are absolutely not included in the J-1 program, as was clearly mentioned in the proclamation, and as Aaron just pointed out, that consular officers will have the discretion to determine when and if an individual falls within one of the exempted categories in order to allow them to be granted 
or issued the visa so that they can legally enter the United States in any one of these specific categories that are uh, that are supposed to be prevented under the non-immigrant visa proclamation uh, issued by the president. So some of the other issues that we want to very briefly touch upon, uh, which are the focus with both of the proclamations, include, of course, I think we already talked about the fraud and those issues. Oh, we want to talk about the CBP updates that since the June 22nd, 2020, the Customs and Border Protection through their headquarters and through ALL liaison policy, uh, and in fact, some of the port of entry directors have directly responded to ELA uh, chapters or ELA attorneys uh, with updates on some very important issues that may, for those of you whom it applies, you can do a EPA dance, but all the others, of course, aren't as fortunate because it's truly troubling, is Canadians and others who are visa exempt uh, under the USMCA, which used to be called NAFTA till July, till, till you know, a few, few weeks ago, are allowed to enter on the H1 L or J status. Uh, they're allowed to be continued to enter and this proclamation does not impact them. The CBP has also recently confirmed in the last two days that the automatic visa revalidation rule uh, is not been impacted or changed by the proclamation. Again, for those who are not uh, uh, familiar with this, the AVR or automatic visa revalidation rule or the contiguous territory rule can be extremely beneficial to those who maybe have fallen out of status, who need to travel abroad and come back. But usually you cannot come back unless you have a visa stamp in your passport, except if your trip to Canada or Mexico or one of the U.S. contiguous territories, which could include, by the way, some of the Caribbean countries, uh, etc. If you go travel and come back and your trip is 30 days or less than 30 days, you do not need a visa to re-enter the U.S. So you're somewhat visa exempt in the same way that was just mentioned. And you can re-enter the U.S. and obtain from CBP the I-94 card for your reinstatement. Many, many lawyers and law firms don't use this incredible legal opportunity that is available under the law itself and has not changed for the last 30, 40 years. And finally, the proclamation has made this issue really clear. Aaron just briefly touched upon it, that it does not apply to those who already have a valid visa stamped in, in the passport, even if the person has never entered the United States ever before. Let's say it's a first time entry. You still you are now exempted because it wasn't very clear from a literal reading of the proclamation if it would apply to you. So, Aaron, what are the additional measures required that are mentioned under both of the proclamations? Well, one thing I want to say just very clearly, and this is also on the Department of State website, but I think it goes without saying, consulates are not open right now except for emergency appointments. Um, I've been hearing anecdotally that some of these appointments that when they're scheduling, they're scheduling in February and March of 2021. Um, emergency appointments are based on resources and essentially are going to be primarily focused um, on people who fit in with national interest or essential worker type of categories. So if you're exempt or if this, this particular um, proclamation doesn't apply with you, doesn't apply to you, and you happen to be outside of the U.S. and you need a visa to get back, uh, you might still find yourself in a bit of a funny place. Um, there's also a, a, a memo of understanding or some type of agreement between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada 
for traveling across borders to Canada and Mexico, especially land borders, uh, which limits also to essential workers or workers that are critical for the supply, food supply chain or similar to this for medical needs for COVID-19 and so forth and so on and so forth. So just to bear in mind also that if you're going to use AVR, you may find other types of restrictions. So just to, to keep in mind, these are two separate issues, but just because you get over one doesn't mean that you're not facing other limitations that seem to be coming out because of COVID-19. Um, for in terms of the in terms of the proclamation, the additional measures is interesting in as much as all the heads of like home, Homeland Security, Health, and so on and so forth have been um, have been directed to look at the rules that currently apply for people that have already been admitted or are seeking admission either on EB2 visa or EB3 immigrant visa or an H1B non-immigrant visa and to see if them coming in limits the opportunity for U.S. workers. So this is going to be um, entered only for those who are going to enter. Have already, but I think it's it's. I think they're asking also promulgation of regulations because they're saying it's already for those who have already been admitted. Let me just double check and confirm. Oh, correct. Or if you're seeking admission, either way, and the, those who've been admitted will have to look will be subject under the USCIS rules. Uh, but those who need to get admitted will be both the U.S. Department of State, the consular officers issuing the visas or CBP at port of entry. You're 100% right, Aaron. It's yeah, for those this who, is interesting even though because both the proclamations talked about people from abroad, somehow they've snuck in this little clause in the additional measures towards the end of the proclamation saying we can look at it not just for those entering from outside, but even those coming in, which is somewhat scary because they're trying to call it one thing but stretching it to include something else. Right. And I think this is clear because the president has less authority to take to, to take executive orders or proclamations for people that are in the U.S. and subject to the to the rules of the United States. He has more authority for bringing people in from outside the border, less authority once he's in the border. But what's interesting about this is we already have a test of the job market for EB2 and EB3 immigrant visas. So the question is, what exactly is he talking about? Because that test is run by the Department of Department of, um, of Labor, and that test is verified, and they issue perm, they issue labor certifications that said we're certifying that doesn't impact the industry. Let's move forward with it. Not exactly sure what they're doing, except if they want to revamp the regs a little bit. H-1B non-immigrant visas is a question about what they'll do or how they'll do it. I suspect there's going to be a lot of lawsuits if anything changes. This is different from outside coming in. In the United States, there are already promulgated rules, there are regulations, there's laws that are fixed to the INA. I suspect that it would become very difficult for them to, um, to change anything without having a, an enormous amount of, amount of pushback. True, true. And there's the additional part about where they're allowed to that the agencies are allowed to undertake in, in investigations of labor condition applications or LCAs, again, to look at all of these issues in order to see how to limit opportunity, how, if any of these, um, you know, will impact opportunities for U.S. workers. I think a lot of people are very nervous and scared what this means for EB2 and EB3 uh, employment-based immigration, immigration uh, immigrants who are trying to, you know, like file the I-140, uh, getting the approvals, 485 green cards, immigrant visas coming from abroad. I think people are very, very nervous. Additional measures that have been mentioned in the proclamation, um, you know, certainly they're looking at 
how to, you know, allocate visas to ensure that H-1Bs will not negatively affect U.S. workers. And I think some people who are analyzing it and looking at it are concerned that they may introduce a brand new category to prioritize the highest paid H-1 workers um, in terms of selecting cases in the lottery or approving them, since right now the USCIS already has all these H-1 petitions that were filed during the months of April, May, and June under the first round of the lottery that was issued, and whether this particular proclamation is saying, let's see how we can try to weed out. They'll cash the check, deposit your checks, and now they're going to try to prioritize certain candidates who they think will less adversely impact U.S. workers, which, again, may be uh, subject to litigation and lawsuits because there's a whole you know, gray area that you're getting into. Also, uh, the proclamations uh, want to ensure that an individual will not be able to apply for a visa or for admission unless they have completed certain biometrics and like photographs, signatures, fingerprints. I don't know that that's necessarily changed before, uh, from before, because that I thought was always allowed, but they're stressing that, I guess, not allowing for any exceptions. Uh, but also uh, they've added that any person who either had had a final order of removal is either inadmissible or deportable or has been either arrested, charged with, or convicted of a criminal offense. It's not and, but it's or um, from being able to work in the United States. So I think that if somebody has had a conviction, unfortunately, for whatever reason, some mishap happened, there could be a potential risk that um, if you're trying to enter, for example, on one of these visa categories, which are work-related, that the CBP uh, or the U.S. Department of State, the consular officer may be able to deny the visa because they're mentioning now that sounds like it would potentially be unlawful because somebody's charged and the case is completely dismissed because it was an error, mistaken identity or whatever to prevent that person from entering the United States or being able to work seems a little bit of a stretch under the law. So certainly expect lawsuits with one or both of these proclamations since they seem to exceed what is allowed under the U.S. Constitution and are under the current law and regulations. Some organizations are already getting ready to challenge uh, this latest proclamation of June 22nd because of the legality of its provision of some of the provisions, uh, you know, clearly seem to exceed the authority granted under the Constitution. Um, yeah. I know we can continue for ages, but I realize we are crossing the 30-minute mass, uh, the 30-minute time limit, um, and want to be mindful of that. Um, so, uh, you know, just to try to wrap up and conclude, there's a lot in each of these uh, proclamations that Aaron Finkelstein and myself uh, have discussed. Uh, we can expect more and more clarifications from different government agencies as they continue to look at issues or address certain issues. Uh, in the meanwhile, you, we can expect lawsuits on these issues. And to the extent that you need any more recent regular updates, of course, as always, um, we will continue to share them through the regular weekly Muthi bulletins, the weekly Monday night Muthi chats, the live Muthi chats every Monday evening, the Muthi Forum, where we have, I think, 80,000 or 100,000 people actively participating. And, of course, the Muthi.com website, which we keep updating on a daily basis with 
articles and updates and blogs and latest, late, latest breaking information from any of the federal government agencies dealing with U.S. immigration. I know it's tough. I know it's hard for all of us. I know we're all dealing with a lot of changes that are occurring. And for those in particular who are separated from your loved ones and your families, um, I know it's very, very sad and stressful, but do not lose faith or hope. So on behalf of myself, Sheila Musi, Aaron Finkelstein, our esteemed managing attorney, and our entire Musi law firm team, we appreciate the opportunity to share these latest updates and guidance shared by the, the, from the President's Proclamation, the U.S. Department of State, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, the USCIS, and we look forward to continuing to help you, your families, as we all continue to deal with these challenges. Stay safe, stay healthy, have a good afternoon. Thank you. This is a free service. The content is the protected, copyrighted property of the Murthy Law Firm. Unauthorized recording or dissemination of these materials without prior permission is prohibited by law. Learn about our firm, how to engage our services and more at www.murthy.com.